Good morning. Welcome once again to Church of the Incarnation. I'm just going to say a few words. All of these doors on the side open up, so obviously a certain amount of barking is going to be allowed in this service, but if your dog's just going crazy and you want to get out, feel free. You can just unlock the door and go out. You can also, uh, you know, if you're having trouble focusing, you can sit in the lobby and listen from there with your dog. But of course, dogs are welcome. I grew up in the Pentecostal church where there's a lot of feedback from the audience, so I'm going to receive all of the barking as amens, and they're going to encourage me. So it's not going to bother me. I'm just trying to tell you if you're having trouble focusing with your own dog, uh, the speakers are on outside. And I am going to attempt a real sermon in the middle of all these dogs. I'm not crazy. Here we go. Some of you will no doubt already know this anthem, anthem from John Baptiste. When I move my body just like this, I don't know why, but I feel like freedom. <laughs> For the last few weeks, we have been talking about what it means to be God's liberation people. And this morning, we are going to continue in this theme of freedom. And I wish I had a choir up here because I would just have them chant that little freedom every now and then when we get to that part in the sermon. Growing up in the 90s, as a, as a small boy, I had a small black poodle named Mariah. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's not a good name for a dog. Because kids, if you didn't grow up in the 90s and you don't know, Mariah Carey is basically like the Beyonce of the 90s, all right? She was the queen, and it would be totally disrespectful to name a dog after her, okay? So I'm just letting you know, we got the dog. She was already named, okay? We just went with it. She already answered to it. I had to put that aside so you can receive from me for the rest of the sermon. But Mariah was a good dog. I loved that dog. She was loyal, slept in the bed with me most nights. And when Mariah wanted to go outside, she would go to the back do do door and either scratch a little bit or just let out a little bark. And then you knew, okay, Mariah needs to go outside. And then when you opened up the door, suddenly Mariah had John Baptiste singing in her ear, freedom. It was freedom time, right? And she would bolt out the door and chase every single squirrel and every single bird in the yard, right? And then just do these, like you ever see dogs, just do circles, just run in circles as fast as she can. And this is what freedom for Mariah looked like. This is what it looks like for a dog to be free and to enjoy doing the things that a dog does. And so I am wondering this morning, what would it look like for you to be completely free? Like what would be the equivalent of opening the door and letting you out to be exactly who you were created to be? Just as we might say, there is a dog enjoying being a dog. What would it look for us to say of you? Man, there goes a human. Fully human, fully alive, just enjoying being a human. Now, for some of you, maybe if you're not super familiar with church, or maybe you have some notions about what the church is like, you might be surprised to the invitation to freedom this morning to be fully who you are. But actually, St. Irenaeus, who was a second century bishop of Lyon, is one of my favorites. He said this, the glory of God is man fully 
alive. He said this as he was arguing for the incarnation. He was writing against a heresy that said the human body was something to be ashamed of. Something God would never want to join himself to. And to that, Irenaeus said, men and women fully alive. When you see that, that is the glory of God. What does freedom look like? What does freedom sound like? Today in our reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians, we get a vision of someone who is truly free. Paul says this, may I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, friends, here Paul is talking about a certain kind of freedom. It's not a freedom he won for himself. It's not a freedom that came through fighting or war or some form of violence. It is not some unalienable right to life, liberty, or the pursuit of happiness. Paul is describing the freedom in his life that was brought about by the power of the cross. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, in a sense, the world was as good as dead to Paul, and Paul was as good as dead to the world. This past week, I have been thinking about a friend of mine named Manu. I first met Manu while I was in seminary uh, in 2011 in Los Angeles. And Manu had grown up as a street kid in Mexico City. He had lived most of his life homeless, and he had been living for a long time on the streets of downtown LA when we met. And Manu had started coming to our church, and he got plugged in in my Bible study, and we became close friends and uh, even roommates. I won't get into that story. It's a story for another day. But the problem is with me is that I often, often think it's my job in the world to fix people. <laughs> like, people need me to fix them, right? And so I think when I met Manu, I probably thought something like, oh, this is good. Through this friendship, I am going to help Manu be able to transition to some kind of normal life. Maybe live in a traditional dwelling, maybe find a good paying job, perhaps even one day start a family. But here's the thing I learned about Manu. He could have had all those things on his own if he wanted them. Because Manu knew how to make money. It's just that a job working 40 to 50 hours a week and paying a mortgage and looking after a family was actually not Manu's picture of the good life. My dreams to help were useless because these were my dreams for him <laughs> and not ever something that he imagined that would bring him joy. In a sense, you could say Manu had no interest in belonging to the system. Manu was, as best as I could tell, joyfully dead to the American dream. He was, in a sense, dead to the world because he was not interested in what the world was offering him. 
And Manu taught me about a different kind of freedom. A freedom I didn't know about. And so the reason I've been thinking about my homeless friends this week is because we have the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi that is upon us. And it turns out that St. Francis chose to live most of his life like a homeless person. Possessing little to nothing, always dressing like a beggar, always going about shoeless. But it wasn't always that way. Francis was the son of a wealthy merchant. He was not especially intelligent. But what he was really good at was partying. He was really good at partying. And he was actually all of his life very lovable. And he actually had dreams of becoming a knight. Like the whole King Arthur thing. Like he dreamed of glory, right? Putting on the armor and going off to battle. He was basically a hopeless romantic that liked to drink and party a lot. He was the Paris Hilton of the 1190s in Assisi. <laughs> to be fair, he was part Paris Hilton, part Ferris Bueller, and part any guy you've ever met from New Orleans. <laughs> At this time, the church actually was in pretty bad shape. The church had forgotten its call to holiness the call to live like God in the world, the call to take the New Testament seriously, the call to live like Jesus. And so Jesus decided that he would choose someone to rebuild his church. And it was Francis, the foolish, partying, not so good in school, wannabe knight that Jesus chose for the job. And so little by little, God began to call Francis to himself through experiences that he was having. And one experience goes like this. Francis had actually lived most of his life afraid of lepers. You might, and there was a lot of lepers around. You might think of today how some of us might be afraid to engage a homeless friend in the street, right? Or afraid to engage a group of homeless people. And at one day, God brought Francis as he was riding on his horse down the road, led him into a group of lepers. And for some reason this time, God had filled Francis with compassion so that the compassion overwhelmed his fears. And suddenly Francis found himself getting off of his horse and doing the unthinkable for him. He embraced a leper. And then he realized, he said, when I move my body just like this, I don't know why, but I feel like freedom. It was the freedom of encountering Christ in the leper. It was the joy of having God's love flow through him to God's creation. And Francis wrote this. He said, after that, I did not wait long before leaving the world. Now, we can talk about Francis's conversion, but I want you to understand it. He went from, not from not being a Christian to being a Christian. He went from being the kind of Christian who went to church on Sundays, but whose faith had little impact and made a little difference in his everyday life, to being the kind of person who radically lived out the gospel in every aspect of his life. 
A short while later, after the encounter with the lepers, Francis was praying in front of the, this crucifix, this beautiful painted crucifix that was in the San Damiani church. And he's in front of this crucifix praying. And as he's there, Jesus speaks to him from the cross and says, Francis, rebuild my church. What does it look like to be completely free? Someone experiencing the joy of being who they were meant to be, to be a man or a woman fully alive. Friends, Francis became one of the freest people you will ever read about. Francis starts selling his possessions to rebuild the church, which he lived with his dad. By the way, he's selling his dad's possessions, all right, to rebuild this church. And so his father thinks he's going crazy, and his father drags him in front of the bishop. And he wants the bishop to set him straight and to talk some sense into him and to tell him to stop building this church and to stop selling everything. And so Francis takes off all of his clothes, strips down naked in the town square, and he relinquishes his sonship, and he gives up his wealth and his pursuit of glory. Friends, Francis would no longer glory in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ, which had crucified him to the world and the world to him. I want you to know that when we say the world was dead to him, we don't mean that Francis didn't care any longer about the people or about creation. It is quite the opposite. We just mean by the world that the Assisi dream of wealth and conquest and competition and the accumulation of possessions no longer meant anything to him. And once he was crucified to the world, he was suddenly freer to love and care for the world, especially the poorest among us. And so Francis spent the rest of his life preaching the good news of the cross and for a people who had felt disconnected from the church, for a people who felt like the church was educated and they weren't, for people that felt like the, the, the church was about the rich and the powerful and they weren't, he came and he reminded how Jesus came and lived among us, how he lived as a poor man, and how he came out of love, came to us and died for us. And that was his message that he traveled about Suddenly, others in the town and others from all over started to follow him. People who were both poor and rich would give up what they were doing and join his group and join him in the task of preaching. And a revival was sparked around the world. Francis was so incredibly free. Free to love creation because the creator's love flowed through him to all creation. He took Mark 16, literally, I don't know if you know, in Mark 16, Jesus tells the disciples to go and preach the gospel to all creation. And Francis thought, well, the birds must be included. And so he preached to them as well. And when you're like Francis, you're also free to love people that others actually consider your enemies. And so while there's a crusade going on and there are these 
Christian soldiers that are trying to take back the Holy Land and Palestine. Francis travels through the enemy lines, preaching peace to all as he goes. And he even shares the good news of the cross with the Sultan. And of course, the Sultan couldn't help but love this man of peace as all loved him. It didn't matter if you were someone who had just robbed the monastery or if you were a wolf that was terrorizing the townspeople. Francis loved you and immediately pardoned and he, he was ready to offer you immediately pardon and reconciliation because God's love isn't passive but something that is active and transformative and reconciling. The last story is this. A bishop had come out to where the friars were living and he expressed his horror of the condition that the friars were living in and the hard life that they had given themselves over to. And this is what Francis said. If we had any possessions, we should need weapons or laws to defend them. Possessing was something that was the death of love for Francis. And so he reasoned, what can you do to a man who owns nothing? You can't starve a fasting man, and you can't steal from someone who has no money, and you can't ruin someone who hates prestige. Free from the love of money, free from the pursuit of fame, free from any sense of superiority, fully human, full of joy, free to be God's instrument of love and peace in a world of selfishness and violence. Nothing to brag about except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world had been crucified to him and him to the world. Lord Jesus Christ, Make us free like your servant Francis. Amen.